It is Wednesday's programme. How are you doing? Thanks for finding me. Another lovely day here it is in the northwest in Salford. I'm Richie Allen. Well, you know that already. I've got Christopher Monckton coming on the programme to talk climate change and other things later this hour. That promises to be interesting. Never dull in any case. Get in touch with me via the usual ways. I'll probably tell you how again in a minute anyway. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie yeah, so if you like, you can drop me a message via the app. Go to the app store to download it or to Google Play or leave a message on the website richieallen.co.uk. Either way is fine and dandy with me. Like I said, Chris Moncton coming on. Moncton of Brenchley, if you please. September 2021, the last time he was on, so that's quite a while ago. We'll get him on today. If you'd like to put a question to him, do it via the messaging thing. And uh, I'll put the question to him because it'll be an extended conversation, so it will, between myself and Lord Moncton of Branchley. Moncton of Branchley. That's right. He's a former leader of UKIP, don't you know? And he once advised the Conservative Party. We had a really lively exchange, actually, back in late 2021 about the vaccines and the vaccine passports and, and that was very good. I listened back to a little bit of it today. Not very good because I did it. It was a good exchange. He was good in the conversation. Now, spoke with uh, Tony Gosling about this earlier in the week, about the farmer who was sent to prison for 12 months because he dredged he dredged a section of the River Lug in Kingsland in Herefordshire. He's been sent to prison for 12 months. The Environment, the environment Agency took him to court, or... It didn't take him to court. The Environment Agency is, as Tony Gosling, or has, as Tony Gosling said to us on Monday's programme, it has some extraordinary powers. It has the power to prosecute. Yes. And they said that he was wrong to dredge the river, therefore he should go to jail and he's going to prison for 12 months. Now, I happen to find that, well, tyranny. Tony agreed with me, but I had a message from Georgina. Let me read this out. Georgina, who didn't tell me exactly where she's based, or not that I need to know exactly, but roughly where she's based, because I don't know if she's based in Kingsland in Herefordshire. She doesn't make it clear. She says, have to say, disagree with what you and Tony have said about the farmer and the environment agency. When I saw what he'd done, he's actually made the situation worse. Our home flooded seven years ago and the area is prone to flood roads, to flooded roads, etc. We have been working with the Environment Agency, the Wildlife Trust and local authority and we've secured funding for a project to sort the issue out and we are hopefully at the final phase and it'll be sorted this year. It has been slowed down because of the shenanigans of the past few years, says Georgina, and rising costs. But once completed, I'm happy to chat about it. And you'll be very welcome to come on Georgina. So she takes a different view on the jailing of the farmer, John Price, the 68-year-old farmer who dredged a section of the River Lug in Kingsland. Now, the all, all the media, all of the media that covered this story, they were all unanimous in saying that John Price had the total support of his neighbours and everyone 
who had been affected by flooding in that part of the UK. But Georgina says differently. Thank you for that. I like a bit of that. A little bit of balance. Right, let's go to, I suppose it's an important story. Let's kick off with this. You might know this by now, you might not. This is BBC News. I'm Samantha Simmons. Let's just start with some breaking news. We're just getting into us from Westminster. The Conservative Party have expelled their MP Andrew Bridgen from the party after he compared COVID-19 vaccines to the Holocaust and he's been found to have breached lobbying rules. Well, the Northwest Leicestershire MP lost the Tory whip earlier this year after making these controversial comments. He's now been thrown out of the party as an ordinary member. A Tory spokesperson said Mr Bridgen was expelled from the Conservative Party today following the recommendation of a disciplinary panel. He has until May the 12th to appeal the decision. We'll be live in Wester, Westminster shortly with our correspondent to get you more. Yeah, it's typical BBC bullshit saying that Andrew Bridgen himself compared the vaccine rollout to the Holocaust. He did not. If my memory serves, he quoted an Israeli doctor who compared the rollout. No, in fact, the Israeli doctor said that the vaccines are the worst thing to happen to humanity since the Holocaust. And Bridgen remarked on this, but he didn't compare the jabs to the Holocaust. This is, you know, an erroneous claim that is repeated time and time again by the media. What did he say? Has he put out a statement? Well, this statement has just been released in the last minute or so, so I only might not have seen it. He said, my expulsion from the Conservative Party under false pretenses only confirms the culture of corruption, collusion and cover-up which plague our political system. I have been a vocal critic of the vaccine rollout and the party have been sure to make an example of me. I'm grateful for my newfound freedom and will continue to fight for justice for all those harmed, injured and bereaved due to government uh, policies. We'll have more on that as it comes in. Yeah, comments on that, please, if you like, to the to, to the website, to the app. Let me know what you think about that. Does it really matter? Is it unsurprising? You might remember Bridgen, while still a Conservative MP, called a debate on the vaccines and potential harms. Only a handful of MPs turned up to that. Bridgen can be found these days appearing on podcasts with various doctors and people like RFK Jr. What do you think of that? Does it make any difference? He says he'll stand again as an independent. We'll see in Leicestershire, North Leicestershire, I believe it is. I think that's what she said. Right, the culture wars then. You know, bizarrely, Jacob Rees-Mogg, very senior Conservative Party MP, You'll know that he's got a television programme four nights a week on GB News. You know that, right? Ofcom is allegedly looking at this. Don't worry, don't panic. Don't put the kettle on. Calm down. I'm not going to do my normal rant on this, on how they began to put politicians on on news programmes as presenters. I won't do that again. But he's doing it. And as I said, allegedly, I'll believe it when I see it. Ofcom, the broadcasting regulator here in the UK, is supposedly looking into this. So last week, Jacob Priest-Mogg, I still can't believe it, he had Marina Perkis on. And it all got a little bit tetchy, a little bit testy. Marina Perkis is a commentator, an author, and I suppose you'd say she's a bit of a lefty, a bit of a liberal. He mentioned Kathleen Stock the former lecturer and author, the Oxford Union debate. You know that trans activists are and LGBT students are trying to get Kathleen Stock banned from speaking at the Oxford Union. You know this by now, we talked about it yesterday. We probably talked about it on Monday, okay? And Jacob Rees-Mogg asked her, Marina Perkis, about this. Now, she said to him that the culture wars were a distraction 
Mog asked her if she accepted that they exist. Have a listen to her answer and the exchange. I think they exist because people like you and your party in government, they desperately need them to exist because what else are you going to win the next election on? So um, they're not coming from people who want to pull roads down or want to edit Raoul Dahl. Isn't mm. there a battle of ideas that is going on that sometimes get expressed in extreme form? So what I think's happened is it's a distraction technique. So don't get me wrong, I think any calls to rewrite Raoul Dahl, for example, or to rename a, a street... By the way, the street renaming, if we go into that, it was called Black Boy Lane. You know, that was why they renamed the street. I think that's fair enough. If you had a street named, you know, White Trash, you might want to rename it. But I think what's happening here is you're drawing attention to these things that actually don't impact people's lives. And the reason you're doing that is because otherwise people might just focus on the real grievances in their life, which are basically caused by your government. But doesn't no platforming actually affect people's lives? Because freedom of speech is absolutely essential for the no. political discussion that we're going Jacob, to have. Jacob, do you know what really impacts people's lives? And I really would just ask your viewers just to... You probably dislike me if you know who I am, but just ask you, your viewers to think about what really impacts their life. Is it Roald Dahl being rewritten? Which, by the way, I don't think it should be. Is it the renaming of a street? Is it, I don't know, some woke policy? Is that really what's harming people? Or is it the concern that they are going to be waiting for an ambulance and dying? Is it the concern but, that their children are getting a poor education? Is it the concern that we've got the highest energy bills? But isn't this why... She's onto something here, and Mog becomes deliberately obtuse and ignores the central point she's making, saying to Mog that you, as the establishment, you love these culture wars because you can hide behind them. And now that you, the MP, are now in the media, now presenting news programmes, ironically, amazingly. Um, you can basically fill hours and hours and hours of airtime talking about these things, which do matter to the people affected. Let's, let's not forget that. Like, women do matter. Biological women do matter. This is an issue. But she's saying that the political establishment is grabbing hold of these issues, which are not really relevant to the great majority of people, Again, that might be debatable. Women do make up half the population. Um, and you're using those to distract from the nightmare situation we live in at the moment. Now, I don't know an awful lot about Marina Perkis, except that she's a liberal commentator. Uh, so I, I, I don't have any... I, I don't you know, necessarily support her. I'm not a fan. Neither am I not a fan. But this is kind of interesting. On the planet. But isn't this why you should stand up for freedom of speech? Because no. if you attack freedom of speech in some areas, Jacob. you're then putting the government in control Jacob, of Mr. the agenda. Mr. You're deciding Mr. politicians Mr. should. Mr. Freedom of Speech here, did you or did you not vote to stop people protesting if it was annoying? Well, there are limits on protest, but, oh, okay. but, but, but so public free protest so long is, as I'm okay with it. No, public protest is a very important part of freedom of speech, and the laws that have been introduced are, are to get the balance right between people okay. going about their daily you lives. Me, That's perfectly you reasonable. You tell me how freedom of speech is going to make people's lives better in this country after it's been decimated by things because, like your Brexit. Because it's really important, because it allows you to come on this programme and make your case. Uh, and that once you... Sorry, me making my case on this programme, yes, which I'll, never, which I'll never come back on, okay. is, is just so that people understand that this is not going to help them. Freedom of speech is not going to help you pay your bills. It's not going to put food on the table. It's not going to feed your kids. But it allows you to make the argument that you're making. Yeah, he's being obtuse again. The point she's making is, is that endless debates about freedom of speech and culture wars, those debates and those programmes fill to the brim because whether it's GB News, whether it's Talk TV, whether it's LBC, and those three channels dominate talk programming in the UK, 
they are filled morning, noon and night with debates about free speech and trans rights and deplatforming. And the point she's making is that people are starving. People are going to food banks. Um, food prices have become, are, are exponentially increasing day in, day out. People are going to the poorhouse. And these debates about trans stuff and all the rest of it, not really that important right now. All I'm here to do is to draw attention to the fact that this, what you do, is, yes, is, but that it, is freedom it, of speech. It's so it's, it's really just, important you, to defend pre freedom of speech freedom and protect of, it. Your freedom of speech, all you do is you use your platform. And I can't believe you do this. Like You were born into a life of privilege, Jacob, no. and you decided to be a common to lie to people. That That's where she lost me a little bit, bringing the privilege into it. Played the issue, played the ball, not the man. But I use my you. platform so that people like you have freedom of speech too, because I, I think it's really you. important. I don't need you to defend that you my can make your, make your I case. I need you to be in a position of government. But the left, don't I, I wish she hadn't have become hysterical and said what maybe she wanted to say when she went on there, which is, um, it, first of all, it's amazing that a member of parliament has got a news programme. But second of all, what is your government doing about the situation in Ukraine? Why are you. Why have you got nothing to say about a settlement in Ukraine, about a peace deal between Vladimir Putin's government and Zelensky's government? Why? Why have you got nothing to say about that? Why do you push for sending more weapons and more equipment to Ukraine, which is keeping that going, which of course is having the impact that it has had on energy prices and food prices and whatnot? Why is none of this up for debate? Why are you talking about, you know, whether trans people should be able to use the bathroom they choose or whether Kathleen Stock should be allowed to speak or not. So she, I understand Marina Parkes is hated by the right in this country, but I thought she was making some interesting points. We get caught up in it here on this programme, the culture wars, because, of course, on some level they are important. It is important that women have spaces that are reserved exclusively for biological women, for real women. It is important that Snowflake students should not be able to kick off and have a speaker banned just because they don't like what he or she says. But uh, these are small beans in the grand scheme of where this world is going. The point she was making is the establishment, which happens to be your party at the moment in this country, although, of course, again, dear listener, you and I know different. We know that these people are not really in charge. But as far as she understands it, those people are in charge. And she says, you love these culture wars because you get to hide behind them. And that's an interesting take. It is quarter past the hour. This is Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tracked delivery. You're listening to your Richie Allen Show on RichieAllen.co.uk Indeed, it's uh, 15 and a half minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Show, the Richie Allen Show, with you live from Salford here in the northwest of the UK. Good to be with you, to be with you. Good. Hi to Mimi. Mimi says, the Down Syndrome Barbie doll 
What an absolute insult, says Mimi. It looks nothing like someone with downs. Just another impossible standard that will be out of reach. Burn the dolls, says Mimi. Burn the dolls, she says. I did put something on the website about this last night. Yes, Mattel has released a Barbie doll with Downs syndrome to make its range more diverse. I believe the toy manufacturing giant. I'm going to go all mainstream media just for this programme, for the crack. I'm going to start throwing out cliches like that. The manufacturing giant. Um, yeah, well, they've done Barbies with um, prosthetic... Prosth- I can't say that. Prost- prosthetic, prosthetic limbs. They have created Barbies with hearing aids, Barbies in wheelchairs and Barbies with a prosthetic limb, haven't they? So this isn't new. This is just a kind of a natural continuation. Uh, Barbie was launched in 1959. Barbie had long legs, a tiny waist and flowing blonde locks. That's how she looked when I played with her. I, I never played with Barbie. I was more into Wendy and Tiny Tears. Remember Tiny Tears? Remember Tiny Tears, the most bizarre toy in the world? You took a doll, you, you, you turned the doll upside down. There was a little clasp and a little latch on the arse of the doll. You unlocked it and you, you put it under the tap and you filled it with water so the baby would cry. You remember that? Tiny Tears I had that too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there is a Barbie with Down syndrome. But look, um, the people who campaign for the rights of people with disabilities and Down syndrome is a learning disability, they're delighted about this. They say it's great and it's nice. It's representation and all the rest of it. I don't know. It does look a bit mental. But, but what do I know, dear listener? Yes. Thank you to Jay, one who loves the app. Hi to Chris in Jersey. Uh, Chris, I hope real soon is the answer to that question. Hi to Danny in Benny Dorm. How you doing, Danny? And a straight man in Gary Owen says, if the Climate Change Brigade are really concerned with saving the planet, why then have they not given any focus to the most existential threat to our existence, nuclear war? They completely ignore this issue, which is uh, which indicates to me that they must have an ulterior motive. I will ask uh, Christopher Moncton. I will ask him that. That's the straight gay from Gary Owen. Indeed. I was speaking to somebody very recently who is working in a company and has been for many years. And he's a really lovely bloke. And very recently, a new employee started. And the new employee is apparently very like Alan Carr and Graham Norton, but on steroids. Very, very camp. And it's driving my, not my friend, but somebody I, I see when I'm in the uh, local local park, and it's driving him crazy. <laughs> and he asked me, what, what could he do about it? And I said, nothing, really. There's very little you can do about it. I said, like, how camp? And I said, he's a screaming queen. Everything is, you know, very loud and flamboyant. I said, he's just going to have to put up with it, really. He's probably a good lad. He's just a bit mad. But uh, my old mentor, Billy McCarthy, Billy was a gay man, he died a few years ago. And uh, as a gay man, he couldn't stand the Screaming Queens, Billy. Wouldn't have anything to do with them. Would run a mile from the Screaming Queens. Anywho, Hazy came on to say that I really wanted a Tiny Tears and those girl head things where you could do their hair and put on makeup. Yes, the models. Chris says all the male Barbie, uh, the Ken dolls are trans, right? Nothing down there. That's very good, Chris. I never looked, to be honest. I never looked. I never looked. Patrick says, I expect Andrew Bridgen is delighted with the outcome and the opportunity to stick two fingers up to the totally corrupt and evil establishment, uh, which he needs to think of ways of helping to bring down. 
rather than standing again as an independent MP. Patrick reckons Andrew Bridgen would be best served using his energy to think of bringing the system down rather than standing as an MP where he can't make any difference at all. I would agree with that. Jenny says Bridgen can now freely speak his mind, which is good. It's disgraceful that he was not free to truly represent the well-being of his constituents as a party member. He would probably have lost his seat as a Conservative anyway, as I'm sure they will be hammered, absolutely hammered, says Jenny, at the next election. And then she says, how is the term black boy comparable with the term white trash? I don't get that at all. That was in reference to somebody saying that, you know, Marina Pork is saying that, you know, you had to change the name of Black Boy Street. Do you know what? And you know I'm no snowflake. You know I'm no virtue signaler. But they probably did the right thing by changing the name of Black Boy Street, didn't they? Probably. What do you think? Answers on a postcard, please. To BBG Towers, Salford. It'll get here. Everybody knows where BBG Towers is. The postmen are sick of delivering sackfuls of hate mail to me every day of the week. That's bullshit, by the way. Angela says, I'm amazed Andrew Bridgen has lasted this long. He'll be free now to speak his mind even more. And some of the people who think the jabs are okay will notice and they will question why he has been treated in the way that he has been treated. Thank you, Kelly, for your lovely message. I'm grand. I was grand yesterday. I just, I just every, now I have a, every now and then I have a rant. I was grand. Just have to have a rant, you see. You know, just have, just, every now and then you have to have a rant. And I like to challenge my listeners. I like to think my listeners don't mind being challenged, you know. Nice to challenge you. What, what, where's the harm in being challenged, you know? No harm in it. It's like the Tucker Carlson thing I posted on the website today. A guy who admittedly wrote for The Guardian, admittedly, but about a year ago, he put together a very interesting biography of Tucker Carlson, which is very interesting. And um, he's a very interesting man, Tucker Carlson. Has a very interesting past. And I put it on the website there. It's not gone down too well. <laughs> but I put it on there anyway. Peter and Stu have just finished work. And uh, they're going to drink a litre of cider now. And they'd like a mention. Well, if you've gotten your mention, enjoy the cider. Cider drinkers. Love a bit of cider. Good evening to Faisal. who sent a link to a Daily Mail story. About um, Alec Baldwin. Who who we learned this week that the charges that had been brought against him relating to a shooting on set where a woman was shot and died during the filming of a, a western called Rust. All charges have been dropped against Baldwin. Faisal doesn't seem to happy about that. He seems to think on the balance of probabilities that Alec Baldwin may very well have been responsible for that. I have to tell you, Faisal, I, I haven't really read much about that, to be honest. Sounded like a terrible thing. It it brought back memories, of course, of Brandon Lee and The Crow, which is a very dark film, which I which I enjoyed. Went to see it in the cinema many moons ago when it came out. He died on set, didn't he, Brandon Crow, when a gun... Was the gun loaded or... Does, does it happen sometimes with these, with, with these blank guns? Somebody who's an expert in guns can tell me a blank cartridge can, in fact, injure somebody. Is that right if the conditions are are um, not right, but if the conditions are appropriate, I don't know. Let me know or, or just tell me to piss off that you don't care. But uh, yeah, Baldwin won't be facing any charges. That is interesting. Hey, listen, we, we heard Marina Perkis in her Tetchy Exchange with um, your man, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Speaking of Tetchy Exchanges, this made me laugh. Uh, Lee Anderson is the deputy leader of the Conservative Party. Lee Anderson, he's known as 30P Lee. I think that's down to the fact that he 
was very scathing in his condemnation of food banks, not condemning food banks, but um, I think he said something along the lines of that he cannot understand why so many people use food banks and stuff like that. Anyway, Lee Anderson has also got a show on GB News. I know, it's amazing. He was sitting opposite Mark Rowley, the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, at the Commons Home Affairs Committee earlier today. Mark Rowley, the Met Police Commissioner. So Lee Anderson, Tory Deputy Leader, excuse me, Deputy Chairman, what's wrong with me? He's the Deputy Chairman of the Tory Party. Um, He wasn't happy. They had already had a bit of a terse exchange. And then Lee Anderson asks Mark Rowley, the Commissioner, why nothing or why nought is being done about protesters that are getting in people's way in London? Have a listen to the exchange, Lee Anderson and Mark Rowley. I'll I'll try another question. We've seen protesters again, once again, in in Parliament Square, setting up some sort of Glastonbury on Thames Thames gazebo with... uh, some pretty poor artists, if, 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 if memory serves me right. Um, so do you agree with the, the recommendations, I think it was by the, the, the policy exchange, that there should be zero tolerance to these sort of events um, and we shouldn't be putting up with antisocial behaviour? And just this morning, we've seen protesters on Whitehall around Parliament Square, probably as you was coming into the building. Do you think it's time that you left the Ivory Tower and got out there on Whitehall and sorted these people out? Because, you know, people of London, the tourists... The, the people that work at this place, and they, you know, the taxi drivers, the bus drivers, they game fed up of it, and you're just letting it happen. You've got the powers now to do this. So um, there's current bill bouncing around Parliament, which hasn't come in yet, so those powers aren't in existence yet. Um, it's so not, it's not strictly true, is it? You, get, you can move these people on. They, they're obstructing the highway. So we could have a, a long conversation about public order law. No, but, why are well, not moving them on? Well, because... You're making selective um, comments based on a partial understanding of the law. I do not want Londoners disrupted um, any more than anybody else does, but the law is very clear that protest is disruptive and to, a, reason, and to a certain extent that is allowed. That is what the law says at the moment. Now, you might not like that, but I have to work the law rather than, um, right. rather than whim. Now, it is, it is right. You're sounding the Met Police Commissioner, Mark Rowley, handing Lee Anderson his arse on a plate. I can't believe that Anderson could be so poorly informed with respect to the law about how protests can be dealt with. Anderson really is an ignoramus. This is quality. It's not, Commissioner. But it's not. So, so, so it's, you might want to believe that the law says that no disruption is allowed whatsoever through protest, but that is not the case. I think you might want to believe, Commissioner, that, you, you know, that you're doing your job correctly, and we, I don't think you are. But I'm just going to ask one more question. I'll make one more statement, because I, I feel like I'm wasting my time with you, to be honest. Um, you say you took five years out of, of yeah. the force. There's probably people listening to this today who wish it was a lot longer, uh, and I'm one of them. Um, do you think you've got the confidence of the public... I'm not going to sit here. When, if people want to be personally offensive, then write it in newspapers, but I'm not going to answer those questions. Good man. I have no time for any police officer, let alone the Met Commissioner, but good man. He absolutely destroyed Lee Anderson there. Anderson had to resort to personal attacks on him because um, he realised he was done up like a kipper. You don't even know the law. You're an MP, you don't know the law. Anywho, let's uh, read some more comments out before I do another story or two. Mel reckons there is a road in Bristol called White Ladies Road. Should that be changed? I don't know. Maybe. Hi to uh, Tim who says, when implemented, the online harms bill, backed by almost every member of Parliament, will criminalise all media as it doesn't tow the Ofcom line. 
there's very little we as the public can do about it. Ask the French, says Tim. I'll ask my French missus, she might know. And Sean reckons black boy refers to King Charles II. It was a nickname given to him by his parents due to his dark and swarthy appearance. Nothing remotely racist in it. Well, I believe that, Sean. There might not be anything remotely racist in it, but, um, I don't know, black boy, lane, a road. We can change names of roads if, if we want, can't we? But I hear you. David says, they use real guns in films and TV. Replicas don't have a flash from the muzzle. Don't know much about that, but thank you, David, who worked in a food bank. This is a different David. I worked in a food bank, and the staff who work there take a lot of the of the good food for themselves, like fresh vegetables and ready meals. David, that's a pretty serious accusation. You haven't named the food bank. Is that really true that the staff who work there are taking the good food for themselves and not leaving it there for people who really need it? If that is really going on, that is fairly disgusting, really, isn't it? 29 minutes past the hour. And you know I'm no virtue signaller. You know that much about me anyway, whatever else you might think about me. But, you know, at least once every two weeks, when we've got an extra couple of bob, because nobody has it, I will, as I'm walking around a local supermarket, I will throw a few packets of pasta and sauce and some vegetables into the trolley or into the basket and then put them into the supermarket's own food bank kind of a thing and I like to think that those things really are going to people who are stone broke you know I'm sure you do it as well I, I wouldn't like to think now that people who don't need it are taking it I wouldn't like that at all hi to Kevin who's uh, in Belgium hi Kevin I'm listening uh, to you live for once Richie hope today is better than yesterday for you I do admit I would like to hear you lose it on air though he says I'm not going to lose it today Kevin <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying not to lose it so much. Absolutely, I'm trying. And listen, what I would say to, to 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 people who are abusive to to me on through the app. Number one, it's like water off a duck's back to me. I really don't care. You know, it doesn't have any impact on me. Or even through the uh, email thing. What I would say to you is, why don't you save that? And next time we do a phone in, why don't you phone in? Be a little braver and have a go. You see, the thing I and I'm not having a go at anybody. The thing I hate about chatting with people on Twitter and chatting with people on on the, even on the website, is that people get to ignore the points that, that that I make and I suppose you could throw that back at me. You could say, well, you could also ignore the points I make. You see, having a conversation that isn't in person is not much of a conversation at all, really. When most of the time people just ignore what, what you've just said because they don't like it. So they come at you from another angle. And when you're not in the same space as them physically or even on air, well, that's a waste of time, isn't it? So I would say to people who strongly disagree with something they heard on the Richie Allen show, get your arse on the programme during a phone-in. I'm not going to abuse you. I'm going to give you the space to say what it is you want to say. But in that situation, you don't get then to ignore something that I say or vice versa. Because I'll pull you back to it or vice versa. And this is why somebody said to me, who said it to me? Was it, was it Ken? It might have been Ken, a mate of Hayden Hewitt's. Was it Ken? Said to me recently, you've not tweeted anything for ages. Why, Richie? Because I can't be arsed. No point in tweeting anything. Because you can't have a conversation with people on Twitter. So I use it these days primarily to reach out to occasional guests. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be engaging people online 
in conversation because it's a waste of bloody time, really, isn't it? You find this yourself. You will be online and talking to somebody about the jabs or about some dystopian aspect of the world we live in, and people just ignore what you've said. And there might be a lot of truth in what you've said, and then they just come at you from another angle completely. That isn't the conversation. That's just ridiculous. And that's not something you can do in a face-to-face situation. You can't do that. It's impossible. Because the other person says, hang on a second. What about what I just said to you a second ago? Right? So, yeah. So, um, phone-ins, plenty of them coming up on the programme. One a week from now on in. And um, I, I do hope that some of you who take a pop at me on the website or through the app, which, again, I really don't care about, that you might have the gumption to pick up the phone or the Skype and we can have it we can have it out on air. But not in a confrontational way, just in a kind of a robust debating type of way. Because that's the way to do it. 28 minutes to the top of the hour. More of your comments in a moment. Where am I going now? Staying with policing momentarily, the Home Secretary herself, Suella Braverman, was on LBC Radio today with Nick Ferrari. He asked her to explain what it is she means exactly when she says back to basics policing. Back to basics policing, or as I I like to call it common sense policing, is about responding and reflecting the priorities that the British people have. So we don't want to see the police, uh, you know, getting into debates on social media about gender. We don't want to see the police dancing you know, uh, on the street. We don't want to see the police holding back from taking courageous decisions on grooming gangs because of fears of political correctness. Uh, I want to see the police using their stop and search powers, their increased, in fact, increased stop and search powers that we've given them so that they can reduce violence and save lives. Uh, And we don't want them to shy away from taking those important and sometimes life-saving decisions in the name of crime fighting out of fears uh, related to Fearful. Aren't you fearful, Home Secretary, in, in, in some areas the increased use of stop and search alienates members of certain communities? I think that we are incredibly... Uh, one priority of policing is to engage proactively with communities. Uh, that's why I'm very pleased that uh, we have a, a very high number of people coming into the police force uh, from ethnic minorities, uh, women, uh, so that we are reflecting the communities that we engage with. But political correctness, I think, and I think the public would agree that there's a perception that the police have been pulled off track um, on some uh, instances and particularly some high-profile instances. That's, that's one example, uh, that's one reason why I've introduced new guidance on non-crime hate incidents so that we ensure that freedom of expression is protected and that the police are not overly policing lawful debate. Yeah, I don't believe her, but it doesn't matter what I believe. Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, there. And another story which um, I posted to the website yesterday, the Labour Party has said that if the Labour Party is returned to power, one of the things it will introduce is that boys will be taught to respect women and girls as part of the national educational curriculum. This drives me absolutely crazy. We've talked about this many times on the programme before. They say if we form the next government, we plan, the Labour Party plans, to prevent laddish banter leading to misogyny and violence. Now, I don't think it's too unfair to say that what this really boils down to is psychologically abusing boys and telling boys that they have been born with some sort of original sin, that whether they like it or not, they are misogynistic, and that they are not respectful of women, and therefore they need to be taught how to be uh, respectful of women and how to avoid being misogynistic. 
This is shocking stuff. I mean, this this really is Orwellian. However, on Good Morning Britain today, I was pleasantly surprised to hear a parenting expert or a woman who blogs about parenting called Fahima Muhammad. And she basically says, leave boys alone and don't be filling their heads with this nonsense about respecting women. Um, I think that kind of education starts at home. Mm. And parents need to take more responsibility for that. And if you understand how the minds work of young boys, they actually learn um, basically in sort of like, not words, by, but by mirroring, which is most children anyway. And a lot of the behaviours that do roll out into schools starts from the home. Absolutely. And I think these sort of policies are not being actually um, sort of researched enough to know that parenting skills needs to be more in there than the schools itself. And I think schools are going to just single out boys, automatically thinking that they are the perpetrators. And there's so many different characteristics within boys themselves that they're going to believe that that's how they are born and they're going to be taught in a particular way, thinking that they're already in that sort of natural way of being, which they are not. So it's worrying. But we do hear from teachers all the time that things have changed in schools compared to 10, 20 years ago that... The attitudes boys are often taking to, to girls, to photos on social media, is, um, is becoming more problematic year by year by year. Is it really not partly school's responsibility too? It is a school's responsibility as well, but I think it should not just be for boys, it should be for girls as well. Because at the end of the day, I have my boys telling me all the time that when they see even girls hitting and punching, they don't have the same sort of like, you know, circumstances and repercussions to them because they are girls. Well, and they are seen to be in that way. Bloody Spice Girls. That's a hangover from the Spice Girls, girl power. Uh, Fahima Mohammed there on that. Um, listen, a couple of things about messaging me through the app. I should have made this clear in the past. Nobody can see those messages except me. Somebody asked me that yesterday, and I should have gotten back to you quicker. Somebody was concerned that if they sent a message through the app, that it was visible. No, no, it's not. The only person who can see it is me. Nobody else can see it. So don't worry about that. Completely and utterly private. If you send me a message, nobody else can see it. Um, It's different on the website. If you post a message to the website, everybody can see it. If you send one through the app, it is visible by me and me alone. Should have made that perfectly clear, by the way. Uh, Steve the Noise says, Richie, on the food bank thing, I worked in a food bank for six months during the scandemic. The workers there only took food for themselves at the end of the day. Food that was going to go off anyway. That was my experience, says Steve. Thank you, David. Shared a different experience earlier on. Thanks for that, Steve. That's what I like to hear, Steve. Warren says, Richie, I just wanted to mention, I don't start with this, Warren. He says, you can now ask Alexa to play the ORA show, the Richie Allen show. I've set it to play every day at 5pm as an alarm. Alexa, give over, Warren. But thanks for saying that. Mercury is in retrograde, says Stephen. Jean-Anne told me that yesterday. Glasgow Bob says, well done for not tweeting, Richie. I never did tweet very much anyway. Uh, I appreciate that. And Mexborough Shane. How you doing, Mexborough Shane? Uh, thanks for your message, pal. I, uh, you can just send me whatever you want to send me. You can send it to me through contact at richieallen.co.uk. Email contact at richieallen.co.uk. If you have something to share with me, that is about the best way to, de- to do that even. Uh, back to the website, by the way. David says, I have a neighbour who works at a food bank. I've often seen her bringing trays of food tins home. This doesn't prove it's happening in every food bank. I suppose if nobody wants to take it from the food bank, then the staff take it home. Thanks for that, David. 
And Chris says, Richie, regarding the um, your perception of Tucker Carlson and the hate you seem to be receiving for it, uh, the people who are so offended by your different opinions, I would argue, are the very same people who listen to shows like yours to simply reaffirm the beliefs they already have. Uh, that might be tr- uh, uh, true even, Chris. Thanks so much for that. It's 20 minutes to the top of the air. This is the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2 in Manchester. We're on tunein.com as well. And these days we are broadcasting on a brand spanking new application, which is so basic. I don't even have the terminology. It is so bloody basic. Listen, do me a favour. Eamon has a, has a company. NutraHealth365.com um, there, there is a link to it on the homepage of the Richie Allen Show. He produces a supplement. I believe it's very good. It's very heavily regulated, this market, so you, you can trust it. Eamon is a huge supporter of the independent media. If you're after a supplement, why not give Eamon a try? To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and their by reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tract delivery. Lovely. I don't know what happened there. Something mad happened there. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. (laughs) One of those things, isn't it? Our sound issues were resolved yesterday, thank God, and overnight in this amazing studio of ours, the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Somebody said that on line, I can't remember who it was. Anywho, um, Christopher Moncton, or Moncton of Brenchley, as he refers to himself, he's standing by and will join us for, a, for an extended conversation in a few minutes' time. Before we do that, though, let's hear some aha. Jesus, that was loud as well. This is the Living Daylight, so it's a James Bond theme, tune. It's a James Bond song from Timothy Dalton's Living Daylights, that's it. The uh, music from AHA, the Living Daylights on the Richie Allen Show. The time is quarter to the top of the hour. It is Wednesday's programme, the 26th of April, 2023. That shit is only lovely. So a mountain of Brenchley, God love him, he winged, uh, he didn't wing anywhere, he let me know a couple of minutes ago that he's standing by, so we'll give him a chance to rush to his computer, he said he's waiting, standing by and waiting patiently for the call, in fact he's not answering, so while he's not answering it gives me the chance to read another a few messages from you. Uh, where was it? Lindsay was in touch to say, very modern of you to have an app, Richie. I'll give it a rating. Then she came back to say she gave it a five-star rating. That's very generous, Lindsay. Very, very generous, uh, by the way. Appreciate that. Sean says, any update on uh, the missus and her podcast? No. Uh, she's been exceptionally busy at her, her own job these last few weeks. Exceptionally, so no. But um, I'm still optimistic or hopeful anyway is that it will happen. Hi to Laura and Andrew in London who say Richie give a shout out to Laura and Andrew in London we love you and laugh at your delivery. Laughing at my delivery what's that all about? There's no need for that Uh, Good evening to you both Uh, James came on to say 
the who and why someone might take food from a food bank is a mute point. I've worked in homelessness for over a decade, says James. The only food a worker might take would be out-of-date tins, as we all know if it's passed. It's best not to be given to the general public. However, if the staff member wants to use it themselves, it's at their discretion. Thank you, James. Nice to hear from people who have been, um, you know, <coughs> excuse me, helping out at food banks. That's a nice thing, isn't it? A nice thing to do. It's exactly 13 minutes to the top of the hour. Let's welcome back to the programme. Before we say hi and welcome him back to the programme, let me just do this. You'll know that Spain has been in the news these last couple of days because the country is experiencing very warm weather. This is of great interest to me because I lived in Spain for about eight years and it does tend to get warm in Spain even in the spring. But of course they are attributing the very warm weather in Spain to climate change and the effects of climate change. And only yesterday scientists were across the BBC saying that they are very concerned about the impact climate change is having on the world's oceans and all the rest of it. And of course this week and last week Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil protesters have been causing chaos in London and elsewhere, demanding that the government doesn't licence any more new oil and gas projects and demanding that we try to get to net zero all the more quickly than had previously been agreed. My guest, um, no stranger to this programme, it's been a while since he was on though, is a former leader of UKIP and he once advised the Conservative Party. It's Lord Moncton of Brenchley. Welcome back to the show. Christopher, how are you? Well, now it's... Lovely to hear you all. And um, how are you, Richie? I'm, 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 I'm all the better for you coming on. I couldn't believe it was late 2021 the last time you were, you were on the programme. But there's so much to get into. This, this is more than serious. I hear from people who listen to this programme, who've known me and who've known about your work for many, many years. And they're genuinely spooked about the lurch to totalitarianism, particularly in London all blamed on the need to act quickly to deal with climate change. We're talking about, you know, ULEZ zones, low traffic um, neighbourhoods, um, levies being placed on drivers around London. And this, this is only the half of it. Do you, are they right to be concerned about what's going on at the moment? Let's be very clear about this. The disinformation directorate of the Committee Gossodastronibetopasnosti has been working for since the 1950s on trying to undermine the economies of the West and in particular of Britain. And the methods they first used were going after the trade unions. That worked until we broke the miners' strike of 1984-5. They had a rethink in Moscow in 1985 at the directorate and they decided they would capture the environmental movement Instead, now the vast majority of environmentalists who belong to this movement are not communists and will be horrified to know that the movement has been captured by communists. But when I was talking to Dr. Patrick Moore just last month in Orlando, Florida, who was one of the founders of Greenpeace, and he was a great and is a great environmentalist and certainly no communist, he said that it was sure enough late in 1985 that the Russians had moved in and the communists had taken over Greenpeace that you mentioned in your introduction. And most environmental organizations now 
were founded by and are largely controlled by Moscow line communists, because people forget that in 2000, in a silent coup, Mr. Putin took over from Mr. Yeltsin and sent him to his dacha in the country and got him to sign all power, all power over to him. And essentially, the KGB has been running Russia again ever since. They no longer run it as an overtly communist country. But 6,000 KGB operatives within three years of 2000 were already in place running everything at national, regional, local and agency level throughout Russia and still essentially do. They and their, their direct successors and appointees. And so the great game, as it used to be called in the days of empire, continues. They are continuing to do their best to dismantle the economies of the West. That's why it is no longer possible to have a debate about the subject of global warming on places like the BBC, which have been long captured effectively by agents of a deeply hostile foreign power and which therefore only reflect the wishes and points of view of that foreign power. Now, in case you think I'm overstating this, we know this is the case because uh, Lieutenant General Yon Mihai Pachepa, who was the founding director of the disinformation directorate of the KGB, came out to the West in 1978, as a direct result of which I was put into Downing Street in 1982, to prepare for the miners' strike that was supposed to be coming in 1983. And they had to delay it by a year because the Falklands victory was such a success. And they didn't dare move against Margaret Thatcher until that had faded in people's memory a bit. But they've been long um, infiltrating media in this country, particularly in this country. This country has always been of great interest to the KGB or the FSB as they now rebranded uh, because of our links with Europe, the Commonwealth and the United States. And this gives us a reach across the world that's unrivaled. And so if they can set the rot in here in Britain, that's what they'll do. And that's really the main reason why Britain has gone further down this completely dotish global warming nonsense than any other country. You believe so the KGB. You, hang on a second. So you believe that the KGB or what what remains of it is in effect controlling the editorial decisions made by the BBC production departments. Oh, it's been doing that for a long time. And the, the evidence which the BBC spent years and millions of taxpayers money trying to suppress is when a, uh, a communist front group organized a briefing on global warming for all senior BBC editorial and managerial personnel. And uh, eventually it leaked out because one of the people there wasn't communist and they, they'd, they'd sort of chosen wrongly and, and the story got out. And eventually the BBC, under threat of being ordered to do it by the court, had to reveal that this meeting had taken place. And it was a gathering of just about every communist front organisation that you ever heard of. And it was that gathering that set the tone for the BBC. But it's not just the BBC. How did they get away with it, given that theoretically they are obliged to be impartial? 
And again, I don't talk of belief. I talk from direct knowledge. And if one looks up the Communications Act 2003, for instance, which was uh, made by the Tony Blair socialist government, that act changed the obligation of impartiality uh, on the BBC's news programming from the absolute obligation. You have to be impartial on every subject at all times and you can't just you know, run a continuous bias to what was called instead due impartiality. Now, this is something the left are very good at. You change a little word here and it completely alters the original meaning because then Ofcom, which is also substantially communist controlled, and Ofcom is the Office of Communications whose job, among other things, is theoretically or nominally to regulate the BBC and make sure it adheres to its obligation of impartiality, issued a statement in 2017, very quietly, which it was an interpretation of how it was going to apply the Communications Act 2003. And what it says is very simply that in matters of controversy where there is general agreement between the political parties and there is a consensus scientifically or in any other way, then the BBC is no longer obliged to be impartial about that subject. And they then add this very interesting sentence and an example of an issue which Ofcom regarded as settled is the issue of global warming. Let me jump in there. Christopher Monkton is our guest. That's very interesting. Everything you said there, that's not in any way patronising you. But I understand this. I, 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 this is, it's news to me, this news that Russia has got anything to do with the climate agenda. I have understood and I've got a, an article that was even in the Times of Israel that this agenda to convince the world that um, you know, we were in dire straits because of climate change and that it was a consequence of human activity. This was born in the Club of Rome in 1968 when a group of scientists and businessmen and academics, including Italian industrialists and uh, Alexander King, the Scottish scient scientist, these people came together and out of this meeting was born this environmental agenda. And as far as I can tell, Russia had nothing to do with that. Russia, as I said, was working since the 1950s to destabilise the economies of the West. And it was in the late, uh, or say the mid-1980s, it was in, in the summer of 1985 that this crisis meeting was held when we had defeated the miners' strike of 1984 to 85, run by a man who was trained in communism uh, in, in Russia, I'm sorry, by first the Patrice Lumumba University and then by the um, Lenin Institute, which if you look it up, it simply says that that's the library of communism in Moscow. No, that was the place where the senior terrorist leaders were trained. And he spent five months, Arthur Scargill, who was the head of the miners, spent five months there in late 1979. And so already they were trying to go after our energy supplies then, but they didn't really pick up in a big way on the global warming thing until uh, 1985, when we defeated the strike. It was then that they realized they had to do something else. So they then captured the environmental movement. And then, uh, following on from Hansen's paper of 1984, 
uh, in which he got the science very, very badly wrong and said that the direct warming from CO2, which would only be about one Celsius per doubling or one Celsius from all anthropogenic effects over the century, would instead become more like three, four or five. They then moved in in a big way to take over this, this subject. And they began pushing very actively from the disinformation directorate to make sure that all the environmental movement got onto the same page. Can I jump they in there? Worked, for instance, through uh, a, an outfit called the Institute for Public Policy Research in this country. They worked through an outfit called the Australia Institute in Australia. And all these innocent-sounding organisations have in fact been singing to the KGB's tune effectively now for many decades. Let now me, you may think this all sounds completely potty. It's completely no, not at all. extreme. No. It's reds under the beds. But no, it isn't. That's what's actually been going on. Let me interject, but, Christopher. You've got to let me back in. We've, we've got as much time as you have, by the way. And you know I'm not a serial interrupter. Let me back in. So I don't know if any of that is true or not. What what I don't do is say it's potty or crazy. I don't do that. I don't know. But what I do believe, this is what I believe. No, I'm talking to your listeners. Yeah, you're, I know you're talking uh, about... They, they might well be tempted. Oh, God, yes. Just no, no, they, they, no, they won't. Bed. No, we, we have, uh, we've, we've an open-minded audience. I remember... Yeah, but I, nevertheless, I make the point that, that uh, however silly this sounds... It's not a matter of belief on my part, but of detailed knowledge right. going back many decades. Right. But <laughs> what, what I'm going to say to you, you're not going to agree with. But equally, I would, I would, I would ask you not to dismiss this as party either. As I've, I've looked into this, I've read this, and I had a conversation with Professor Ian Plymer on this program not so long ago about this. I also interviewed. Dr. Vernon Coleman, who you'll remember from writing for the national newspapers and who's written books about this stuff as well. And they believe, particularly Vernon Coleman believes, and I've looked into this, this took off in the early 70s when the Club of Rome published something called The Limits to Growth, which, um, this is a Rockefeller Foundation thing, where they predicted that the planet would rise by two degrees Celsius by 2052. And even then, they were asking for extraordinary changes in human behaviours in order to make sure that this didn't happen. The point I'm making is, and this is not... These might be mutually compatible theories. They might be. They're, yes, they I, are. Uh, you see, the fact is it wouldn't have got legs unless the communists had decided they were going to push it and go on pushing it. I believe, because though. Can I finish? You, you had a big say. Hang on, hang on. You had a huge say. Let me, you had a huge, and you're, you're going to get more of a huge well, say. That's what I'm but let me finish. Yeah, but let me finish because this is important. I believe that the clues to what's really going on with climate change are in the solutions being offered by our governments and by the environmentalists. And I believe that what it's really about, and I, I didn't come to this theory lightly, it's about the creation of a technocratic state, which is basically a virtual prison for every one of us on the planet, not just us in the West here, but everybody else. And I don't believe that that's exclusively the agenda of some dastardly communists. That's, I mean, this has been run by the you know, the Great Reset. This has been run by people like, even people like Bill Gates and George Soros and Klaus Schwab. And I'm not sure these people are being influenced by communists. This is well, a global agenda. Uh, Go to ahead. a very large extent, they are, wittingly or unwittingly, because the, the pressure to maintain the party line on this is very intense. And again, although you talk of your belief, I talk from direct knowledge of uh, the influences on this. And yes, there are many 
globalist people, as you say, the the uh, the Davos people, yeah. Schwab, this crowd, and various others, um, and there are the the various communists on um, the international intergovernmental panel on climate change and. Dr. Edenhofer, who said this is not about the climate. Nobody could ever possibly imagine that. This is about redistribution of the world's wealth. Um, and of course, he didn't mean redistribution of the world's wealth from rich to poor. He meant from the West to the East, from, from the free and democratic countries to the communist countries. Uh, and that's the, the, the main sort of money that's coming into this and the main political pressure that's coming into this is coming from agents of the uh, Russia and more recently of China as well. It wouldn't have got its boots on if these various gas bag outfits like Davos and uh, the, the various others uh, had gone on having their waffly conferences. That, that wouldn't have hacked it. You have to have continuous pressure from the highly skilled intelligence agencies of first Russia and now increasingly China. And if I were to ask you what is the intelligence agency in China called, you might not even know its name because they tend to be much quieter in their operation than the old KGB used to be. But they're called the Ministry of State Security. And they too have been increasingly active in this field. But this is where the good news comes in because I don't so much concern myself with who's behind the rubbish. I concern myself with whether or not it's going to be possible to wake up uh, the most scientifically illiterate and intellectually cowardly political class in probably since the Middle Ages in this country to the fact that the global warming storyline scientifically, economically, and pragmatically has in recent months completely and abjectly collapsed. And that to me is the interesting thing because here you've got these agents of foreign powers and these agents of globalist organizations who tend to see things to a very large extent in the same way as totalitarians of whatever stamp tend to see them. Um, these people are waffling away about how we have to save the planet and young people who are very easily manipulated by that kind of pietism uh, are sort of lining up behind it and saying, yes, 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 we, you know, we must hold the older generation to account. They've been destroying the planet. We're not going to have children. We're going to commit suicide. So we're no longer breathing out carbon dioxide and wrecking the planet. All this kind of nonsense is going on. But right at the back of it, there is real terror in the ranks of the ungodly at three developments which they know they can do nothing about. And the first of these is that it has now been calculated that suppose you sat back and said, right, let's agree that global warming is making the sky to fall and we have to save the planet, etc., etc. Suppose you buy the entire pseudo-scientific claptrap that underpins this nonsense. Then your next question is, right, so let us suppose that the whole world actually followed the crazed policy of Her Majesty's government in trying to get 
in a more or less straight line from the sins of omission of which we're all guilty today to net zero sins of emission by 2050. The obvious question is, and I asked this to a senior Tory MP in the House of Commons just the other day. I said, all right, you're, you call yourself a mathematician and therefore you tell me you believe in all this global warming twaddle. Fine, I said, let's, for the sake of argument, pretend it's all true. Then the obvious question is this, how much global warming could be prevented if the whole world went directly in a straight line from today's emissions to zero emissions in net terms by 2050. And by 2050, how much cooler would the planet be than if we carried on as we are? And his face, which had been brimming with that sort of pietistic, self-congratulatory self-confidence that goes with belief in this, you know, some have called it a new religion, I call it an old superstition. It's uh, a superstition is something which can be proven wrong and has been proven wrong, but people still are stupid enough to believe in it. And there was this guy, he was confident in his superstitious faith until I asked that question. And his face fell and his mouth gaped like a, a grouper that's just failed to get a tasty sprat as its snack. And his face reddened and his nostrils quivered and he was instantly on the terrified defensive. Struck dumb, yeah. Because I told him what the answer was. And the answer is this. Even if the whole world actually went to net zero, which it won't, because 70% of new emissions are coming from countries, Developing countries who are yeah. exempt from all obligations under yeah. the Paris Agreement. So even if it were possible, which it is not, then at most 0.1 Celsius of global warming that would otherwise occur by 2050 will not occur by 2050, even if the whole world goes to net zero. So then you ask the value for money question, how much is it going to cost to go to net zero? And the answer on the basis of the British National Grid Authority's estimate that it would cost 3.6 trillion dollars just to prepare the national grid's infrastructure for net zero. And the national grid accounts for only about 25 percent of total UK emissions. On that basis, you can work out it would cost about one 0.5 quadrillion dollars to get to net zero by 2050 if the whole world did so at the same sort of cost as the the UK which is one percent of the they've total. changed tack now haven't they they've moved it let from... me finish the figure work Go because on. therefore every billion dollars that our government or any other government tries to spend on getting to net zero knowing that we can't get there anyway would, even if we did get there anyway, reduce global temperature by only one ten millionth of a Celsius degree. And this figure turns out to be surprisingly easy to calculate, and it is beginning to circulate among governments. And they are beginning one by one to get in touch with the IPCC, and they're saying, hang on a moment, you're saying we've got to do all this, okay, fair enough, but here is a simple calculation which appears to be based entirely on midstream main 
mid-range, I should say, mainstream methods and data, mostly from your own documents. And it appears to show that even if the whole world actually did what you've been bleating at us to do, you would barely be able to measure the temperature change that resulted. In which case, what is the point of continuing to fund the IPCC? And to that question, the IPCC has no answer. And you know, I don't think it matters. Gradually, gradually, gradually. I don't think it matters, Christopher. I don't. Well, I know you don't. No, 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 no. Let me let me explain. Listen, let this is this, this is does. this is a conversation. You know, you, you hang know, on, I'm hang on, hang on. Let me tell you how it. Let does. me come back in. It's a conversation yes, we're having. Finish the point. You've and had nearly five and a half this, minutes. The reason finish it why, quickly. The reason why this matters is that the technique that governments are using is not one of standing up and saying publicly, "Oh." This is actually not going to produce any change. They're asking the IPCC. They're finding that the IPCC cannot answer this question. And they are beginning to realize that there's no point in trashing their economies to the degree that they're trashing them at the moment or at all in the name of saving the planet because you can't save the planet anyway. And that is what is so effective about this method. It's, nobody is standing up in public and saying any of this. They're just quietly asking the IPCC. The IPCC is producing feeble answers, which means it's quite clear that it understands that this is the point and it has no answer to it. And that is beginning to impress more and more leaders around the world. I'll believe that and when I see that. Let me come back in. quietly and not yet publicly going through a fundamental rethink. And that is one of three main points which has led them to that change of heart, which is not yet visible, but it very soon will be. We've got Christopher Moncton on the line, Lord Moncton of Brenchley, who uh, used to advise the Conservative Party and was once a leader of UKIP. Um, let me have a say now for a couple of minutes. I'll tell you why, even though that sounds all very reasonable, the, the data and the mathematics and, and the... Um, the, the realities of it not making a, a jot of difference by 2050, which I agree with. It's because I come back to my central thesis, which is shared by a lot of people, that this has got nothing to do with Russia or, 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 or communism or China or the communist Chinese. Well, you're entitled but, to your belief, but I've given you the knowledge. And I, I, I haven't interrupted you, so I, I always understood you. I always, I, because, because you had a five-minute say. But, but, but you had a five-minute say. It's a conversation we're having here. It's, it's what we've done in the past. Let's have a conversation. Let me have a say now. Um, this, is not, this has got nothing to do with an attack on the West or Western democracies or West, Western ways of living our life. This is a global agenda to make prisoners out of every human being on the planet, to monitor us from the moment we get up in the morning till the moment we go to bed in the evening, to create a technocratic society, a social credit system where every one of us will be given a carbon credit score. And it's all about control, control, control. That's how I see it. And better men and women than me have written extensively about this in recent years. And it isn't the creation of any one group of people or any one nation. It is, um, it's, it's too simplistic to say it's a globalist agenda. It's too simplistic to say it's a Russian agenda. I, I would say it's a demonic agenda. And all the evidence around us, you only need to look at the solutions. You know, you won't be travelling. You won't be, you won't be um, 
eating what you want to eat. You will have smart devices jotted and dotted around your home to monitor exactly what you do. You know they're putting cameras into supermarkets, Christopher, that will be able to read what people are doing when they shop. They are setting up a system whereby in the very near future you might go to the supermarket with Mrs Moncton and you might say, fancy a couple of fillet steaks for, for, for Thursday night and at the checkout you'll be told you can't have them because you've exceeded your quota, whatever it is, for, for, for that particular month. I, I, I can see this with my own eyes. I can see it happening here in Salford, in the northwest of the UK. It's a global control agenda. And a guy, and th- this is where we, we so don't do So what are you th- going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Yeah. I'm hoping that by talking about it, that enough people will say, we're not having it. We're, we're not going to put up with it. So what are they going to do about it? I don't know. That's the $64 million no, question. But I do. That's the difference between us. You talk in generalities. I talk in specifics. I gave you a specific number. and I, I don't doubt it. I didn't dispute calculation it. Because that would be a little difficult to do over the air. But it's not a complicated calculation. But I gave you a specific number. And that specific number, 0.1 Celsius degree of warming prevented, even if the whole world went to net zero, that number can be explained in a single paragraph yeah, I agree. of scientific argument and uh, using their own data. And the point about that is that when it becomes completely unsustainable to uphold the party line, then in the end, the party line collapses. And that is what is quietly at this stage and eventually publicly happening. And let me give you a couple of other things which are beginning to disturb those who thought that they had captured the West. It's not, I mean, the rest of the world is really not paying very much attention to any of this. It's the West that's the the target here. Um, You know, in places like Africa, they would love to build more coal-fired power stations if it weren't that all uh, a single communist front group went around and persuaded all the banks over a period of 10 years not to lend to them for it. But, um, you know, they don't believe a word of this global warming rubbish, nor do the regimes in Russia and China believe it. They know perfectly well it isn't true because they're the ones peddling it. But there's another factor that they now know we know, which is troubling them, which is that the favoured solution to get us to net zero, the main way of doing it in the West at the moment, is wind and solar power, so-called renewables. And there's uh, a couple of big snags with renewables, which the communists can't answer. Call them communists, globalists, whatever, uh, demons, or whatever your phrase is. It's the same crowd. Uh, they can't answer these points. Uh, the first of these two points to do with windows and solar panels is that this was discovered by a researcher in Chile called Douglas Pollock. And he's, he's busy waiting for his paper to be published on this at the moment. It's a very short and very clear paper. He says that if you install more wind and solar power on a national grid than the entire mean hourly demand on that grid. If your nameplate capacity of of wind and solar, that's the, the capacity that it would generate in ideal weather. If that exceeds the total demand on the grid, then you will not only vastly increase the cost of the grid every time you add more wind and solar to it, but you will also not be able to uh, abate any further CO2 emissions by adding those extra wind and solar on the grid. And the interesting thing is that in 
Germany, in Italy, in Britain, in many other European countries, we are already well over the, I'll call it the Pollock demand limit, well over that limit. And therefore, all the trashing of our countryside with onshore and uh, windmills and all the trashing of the killing of whales with the offshore windmills, which are a huge killer of, of wildlife in the sea, um, those are all now beyond the capacity we should install. There is no point in installing any more because it won't make any difference to global warming. And what is interesting is that our National Grid Authority and the other grid authorities around the world do not realize that this demand limit exists. And we are gradually making sure that they do know that it exists, because then they will be able to say to governments, look, here is how the mathematics works. It is very simple and it is irrefutable. You can't tell us to add any more of these things to the grid because there's no point. It won't make any difference to global warming. And that means the primary method of getting to net zero cannot get us to net zero Anyway, but so they'll do it quite, anyway, Christopher. Let, let, let me back in. Let me back that. in. Let me let me back in, in briefly. The, I agree with everything you're saying there. The problem is, in my opinion, the architects of this agenda will just replace the puppet politicians who might raise the alarm. People might listen to what you've been saying and say, "Hey, we've gotten it wrong about global warming. We better be careful. We don't bankrupt the." Uh, yeah, the, well, the, let, the, me country, but, these, let me get these points But out they want first. to bankrupt the economy. Then we can that's talk the whole about the strategy that's going to be followed. But do you not first see that point, all, the, though? The, the next point... You don't see my point at all. ...is to do with the windmills, which I'd like to finish off, just Go to on. finish the point off, is that the other reason why you can't get to net zero, even if you tried, is that there are not enough techno-metals... These are these rare earth and other complicated metals, which uh, it's not like iron and steel, which are plentiful, you know, yeah, plenty yeah, yeah. of iron around, thousands of years supply of that. That's what you, you could make your, your old coal-fired power stations out of now with these fancy new power stations with windmills and electric batteries and static batteries to back them up and heaven knows what, and in all the motor cars as well. You're now using the lithium and you're using vanadium and you're using cobalt and copper and all sorts of stuff, which is a lot rarer and more expensive and there isn't a lot of it about and in fact uh, professor simon michel of the geologia Turkimuskescus, which is the finnish geological survey has spent years doing a thousand page detailed analysis on the basis of present or foreseeable technologies to work out very simply how much of each of these techno metals would you need if you wanted actually to get to global net zero? And the answer is that lithium alone, you would need nine and a half thousand years of the entire 2019 yeah, global yeah. total output of, of, of that. You would need of, of cobalt, you would need 27,000 years of the entire global annual supply. If you, and that's just to get you to the first 15 year generation of global net zero infrastructure, because it's not like a coal-fired power station that goes on for the best part of a century. These things last about 10 or 15 years, and then they break down and have to be totally replaced. And the uh, recycling capability is extremely limited for various technical reasons. And then likewise, if you took vanadium for the static batteries that you would need to back up your ridiculous wind and solar, if you really want to exceed the Pollock limit, you have to have static batteries. The vanadium for those, you would require 67 thousand years 
of the global total annual output. Yeah, I've read that too, yeah. I get that. Now, this is the, important stuff. I, I want to move on from this, this for, because we, we've got is, limited time, Christopher. Christopher, they we... can't answer this point. No, they can't. They can't answer any of these points. And these points are very simple points. And that's We're not talking about complicated remote scientific theories. These are simple points. And they're points that people listening to this broadcast will at once understand. They will at once realize that there's no point in getting to net zero anyway because it's only going to change temperature by 0.1. Yeah, but my listeners are there already. They'll realize you can't do it anyway. But, but my listeners and are there they'll already, they'll begin to be able to say to their politicians, this is how mad it is. And this is how simple it is to prove that it's as mad as this. And it's not going to be changed by politics. This is the issue, you see. Because they've, they've openly stated that they're planning a future for, for people where they will be happy with nothing. Everything you just said is right. It's 100%. It is easy to debunk this stuff. The points you made there about the precious metals, 100% right. The problem is they plan to destroy the global economy, not just the Western economies, but the global economies. Oh, no, it is. That's what they the plan. No, 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 it's, it's the global economy it's they plan simple. to destroy. I'll give you the figures. You see, I don't deal in all, oh, I think this or I believe that. No, no, I but I don't that. either, you see. I've, 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 hang on a second. Hang China on. I've, I've given you a good say. Christopher, enough. Enough. Christopher. I've given you a good say. Please allow me have a say. Capacity. Christopher. India has announced. A am I going to cut his mic or what? Capacity. Pakistan has announced a quadrupling of its coal-fired capacity. Why? Because they want to be able to take up the manufacturers that we are shutting down because of our net zero policies. They, all of them, no, this, said, are this is not an agenda against Western democracies. It's an agenda against no, humanity. The and the Russians have got China nothing not to do with to it. Do this Itself. Nothing Russia to do with is it. not going to do this to itself, nor is India, nor is Pakistan, nor is Singapore. This is a Western problem because we've been targeted. The, 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 the entire planet and every human being on the planet has been targeted for imprisonment. And you know this to be true. Everyone on the planet. What, what do you think just happened in the three years we've just had, Christopher? Did the Chinese and the Russians exempt themselves from from the COVID nonsense, from the lockdowns, the devastating lockdowns that destroyed the economies of this country and Ireland and the European economies. Did, did they? They didn't. They, 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 they've not been in, in uh, what's the word I'm looking for here now, immune to the effects of the response to COVID. This is a global agenda. I'm, I'm always amazed when an intellectual sees it in, in, in the, in the um, simplistic terms of East versus West. It's from no, everybody. See, I, I'm dealing in fact. I am telling it's you not that a fact. that it's is an what opinion. is actually happening in those countries. China but facts had 20 million the opposite. deaths from COVID. That's why they, they suffered. They, they let it out by, by mistake. They then made very sure that it got spread around the world because they didn't want to be suffering the economic consequences on their own. Um, so that's what happened there. And again, I can prove that. I can give you all the speeches that were made by the China, China's foreign minister at the Munich Security Conference in 2015. I can tell you the meeting that, that uh, Xi Jinping had with his appointee as head of the World Health Organization. I've got the picture of, of Gibraltar bowing to him as he was told, you will tell everybody it's perfectly all right to fly in and out of China when the thing had hardly got out of China to make absolutely sure it spread worldwide. Yes, I know the role 
that that particular communist country played in very great detail. Thank you very much. Well, we know damn well that Tony Fauci... Hang on a second. We we know damn well that the Americans have got their fingerprints all over. China is very greatly expanding its coal-fired capacity because it does not uh, intend to deprive its citizens of electricity, which is currently about an eighth of the price of UK electricity. That's true. We Going back to the COVID thing, we, we do know all the evidence is out there that Anthony Fauci and others were working on gain-of-function research in Wuhan in China. The American deep state has its grubby paws or fingerprints all over the COVID-19 virus too. I mean, you can't just ignore that. I mean, these are facts. These, this is not conjecture. We know that Fauci was up to his neck in it. And the well, US we government know that Fauci funded his outwork. Fauci, when asked whether... Uh, the National Institutes of Health, which he represented, um, had been funding gain of funding funding research at Wuhan, denied it flatly. However, in doing so, he was, in the words of Sir Robert Armstrong, economical with the truth or economical with the actuality, which is another way of putting it. What he what in fact happened was that he funded a communist front organization called the Eco Health Alliance run by a very nasty piece of work here in the UK called Peter Dashak. Now, Peter Dashak uh, was very active in pulling together a lot of communist-leaning scientists who wrote a uh, a letter to The Lancet, a communist-leading medical journal, saying that, of course, the idea that this um, virus came from Wuhan is complete nonsense. And that was the Communist Party line initially. And there was this elaborate story concocted by the Chinese Communist Party that this came from the Wuhan meat market. Now, why did they choose that meat market as the origin? Because it's only 800 yards to the south-southeast of the Wuhan laboratory. So it was a convenient place to divert attention to. And so for the first six or eight months of 2020, Anyone who tried to say on the communist controlled social media, such as YouTube, for instance, that uh, the origin of this virus was, albeit inadvertently, from a lab in Wuhan, was immediately had their channel shut down and you weren't allowed to say it. And then this is most interesting because I have never seen this happen before in one of these communist uh, controlled or influenced um, social media groups. The party line in all these communist-influenced social media groups changed in late 2020. And suddenly, they were willing to allow everyone to say that the thing had originated in the laboratory in Wuhan. And the reason why they did that is that some people had been beginning to say, well, once the Chinese knew this virus had got out and could transmit from person to person, they knew that way back in August 2019, instead of reporting it immediately, within 24 hours, to the World Health Organization, as the international health regulations require, they didn't report it at all. And it was left to Taiwan on December the 31st, four months later, to report it. And, of course, Taiwan doesn't even belong to the World Health Organization because China won't let it. And so all they got back was a single curt note saying noted from the just that one word from the World Health Organization, which then did nothing about it for several weeks. And those several weeks were just enough to make sure 
that the virus spread worldwide, particularly because Dubreyesus was then going out and making statement after statement after statement to the effect, uh, you know, very much at the instruction of the Chinese, and we can prove that, uh, that uh, there was no danger here. It was perfectly all right to travel in and out of China. That absolutely guaranteed that the virus would spread worldwide. We're missing an important point here, Christopher. Stop before it ever got Yeah, but we're, we're missing a very important point here. The Chinese Communist Party didn't want to suffer the economic humiliation but, of being the only country to suffer mass death from this virus. But here's That's the... why they did it. Here's the, uh, here, here's the, the, the more salient point when it comes to COVID. Regardless of how it emerged from China, and let's say that what you have said is 100% accurate. Let's just say it is, right? Let's say that's how it happened. The fact remains, with all the evidence in now in April 2023, COVID, for the great majority of people, was nothing more than an irritating flu-like infection. And yet in lockstep, in lockstep, the countries of the world decided to destroy people's lives, turn the... Um, you know, we turned our country here into a totalitarian lunatic asylum where people were told not to go to work, you know, to destroy their businesses. We well, terrorise we children. To, we well, no, we don't blame the Chinese for that. Hang on, we don't blame China time, for that. Only time that lockdowns work. No, they never work. And when lockdowns. they're absolutely necessary. They're never necessary. right at the beginning of an outbreak. No, they're never necessary. you yourself time. And had we locked down, Jesus, for instance, Mary and just 16 days earlier, in the UK than we did, then 50,000 lives would have been saved. All the subsequent... There's no evidence whatsoever that more than 100,000 people died of COVID in this country because of the methodology in counting deaths. They, they counted a COVID death as anyone who died within 28 days of testing positive. We cannot trust the COVID death numbers. You're a kind of a half a mathematician. You've got to agree with that. The COVID death numbers are, excuse the crude language, bollocks, in my opinion. Well, it really doesn't matter very much which way you try to restack them. It was still a lot of people. And had we locked down sooner the first time, we'd have saved a lot of lives. Thereafter... Let me ask you this. This is important. Christopher, hang on. Thereafter, after the first lockdown, which which should have lasted no more than two or three months. Can I ask you this? uh, They they could have simply said to people, look, you all take that on the chin, same as they roughly did in in Sweden. Just take this on the chin. And then thereafter, you know, take your own precautions, be sensible. But, you know, you sound like a communist. You sound like a communist, Christopher. Should have done. Hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. This is important. We had a scientific scientific class, which is simply was unfamiliar with the mathematics of epidemiology. They didn't realize that the exponential spread at the beginning of a pandemic is very quick. And you ha- the only way to interfere with it until you've got some sort of treatment and you work But COVID is a mild respiratory is, infection that doesn't, is, it doesn't is impact most people. Initially, but only then. And that's a perfectly standard. Let me ask you this. Christopher, this is an interview. Let me ask you a question. Which was was unsatisfactory. Let me ask you a question. Subsequent lockdowns, which were totally unnecessary. Let me ask you a question. You sound like a communist. Do you really believe that me as a private citizen, you're a conservative, right? As a private citizen, you believe that I bear some responsibility for your health and that I should keep myself confined to my home 
lest I pass on a virus to you. Isn't well, the onus? It, hang on, hang on, hang on. Isn't the onus on you? Isn't the onus on you to well stay home? Established it's communism. Regime, which is followed when, and it's been followed. I mean, you go back to the Great Plague, for heaven's sake. No, they, they were, ripped it they up. Were following this they regime. ripped up their pandemic they, they, response they made papers. sure that where the plague was present, the houses were marked. But so it wasn't a fucking plague, Christopher. It was a mild respiratory and, infection. It wasn't a plague. It wasn't a fucking plague. It was a mild respiratory infection. No, it uh, it did in fact kill a lot of people. It didn't. Where's the evidence? It didn't. Anyway, uh, you know, we're wandering from the from the climate, which is the real. And we've only got about five Um, minutes left anyway. Let me put one final point to you, and I'll give you the final word. It's a global agenda to turn the world into a technocratic society. You've said that. Move on. Excuse me. It's my show. I'll decide what I say and when I say it. Move on. Mr. Moncton. Um, It's not communist. It's got nothing to do with communism or Judaism or Christianity. And um, I I reckon, I'll put my final point to you. Despite everything you said about the... You know, the, 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 the facts you pointed out earlier on about the models and how nonsensical the models are and the wind and the solar, everything you said was right. If a politician dares to attempt to, to take that on, the architects of the agenda will simply replace them. You've more or less said that yourself. You said these people, whoever they are, are in total control of the media and of politics. So what difference does it make if a politician oh, decides... Simple. Well, very final simple. word to you, you've got two minutes. Go ahead. Right. Very simple. So to the strategy, which I've been trying to get into this program, uh, and that is that what is quietly being done around the world by very senior politicians who have seen the truth on this is that they are asking the people who are peddling this nonsense to answer these two or three very simple points, plus one scientific point, um, which I won't go into now. Uh, But these points are something which it's now quite clear from the answers we're beginning to get back that the people pushing this agenda cannot answer these points. They cannot find any credible... They don't have to answer, though. Uh, Just hear me out. They don't have to answer, And so as a result of their being unable to answer these points, people like that thick-as-two-short-planks MP that I was talking to are beginning to wake up. The first thing he said when I gave him the figures and told him how they were calculated, he said, oh my God, Monty, the trouble with you is you take positions that nobody else takes, and then I tell you it's all rubbish, and then you turn around and you present the facts, and every single time you turn out to be right, and here it is, he said, I cannot refute this. He said, it is obvious that you're correct. That's the point. It's obvious, even to somebody pretty stupid that these things are right. And it it becomes unsustainable. If you're trying to run a totalitarian system and you try to advance a proposition that is manifestly idiotic, then it undermines the kind of magic of authority on which totalitarianism depends. Because the governing class just looks increasingly stupid as well as wicked. And the people in the end won't tolerate it. They won't stand for it. And that's where we're just beginning to get... I hope you're right, Christopher. Because it's only now that this is really beginning to hurt the ordinary folk. They're being told they can't have a fireplace, they can't have a wood-burning stove, they can't have yeah. a gas boiler, they can't have an oil boiler, they can't have an uninsulated house if they want to, they can't let it, if they want You've to sell it. You've got to buy a heat it. pump, They yes. can't have a, yes. a petrol car, they can't have meat. Uh, it's a long, long, growing list 
of things you can't do, very like the sort of list you had in communist countries, because it's exactly, you know, whatever kind of totalitarianism you call it, that's what it is. Well, our, our leaders and love the they're Chinese. not going to get away with it because the people, all they're waiting for is uh, this information of the sort I've given you, where these are simple points that can very easily be verified. I hope you're right. If you ask the I other side, right. can you refute, refute this? The answer is no, they can't. Christopher, and then I... people are going to say, well, given that we can now understand why this is nonsense, we are not going to tolerate these impositions upon and us. And I hope you're longer. right. Let and me, in countries that let still me wrap have it up. some I've got form wrap it up. of democracy, which we do, then we can still we don't have any democracy here. those governments that do these things and put in governments that are going to wake up and say, right, we've smelt the coffee, we're not doing any of this anymore. Christopher, if, you're a good that, sport. Then we'd get a real... You're a good sport. We'll wrap it up there. Listen, you're a good sport. You've got thicker skin than I have or as thick uh, skin as I have. It's good to have you back on to talk about it. I sincerely hope you're right. I really do. Why wouldn't I? Because I can see what's coming down the line and I don't like it any more than you do. Well, now, why don't you do. do something instead of just talking about it? Why don't you ask me to send you I'm a journalist, the calculations that show how it is that you're only going to stop 0.1. Well, you can, so, e you can email one point. But you can email me that stuff, of course. I'll give that explains how that calculated. But I'm Here's doing my I job by having you, you on. Write to the Climate Change Committee. Which Wasting is the my time. Nest of vipers that promotes this stuff, yeah. and say to them, "This has been sent to me. I cannot myself. I don't have enough knowledge to know whether this is correct or not. The calculations are obviously correct. The sources are, that are being cited are obviously mainstream sources, but it's beyond me contextually to know whether this is all making sense. Can you please tell me is this calculation correct and see?" what answer you get. You get back. Christopher, we're going to, we're going to have to leave it there. We're going to have do. to leave it there, Christopher. I appreciate that. Thanks very much for your time today. Great to have you back on. And mind yourself. Thanks, Christopher. Christopher Monkton live on Wednesday's Richie Allen show. I'll say it now because he's gone. Um, not because he's gone, but because he wouldn't listen to me. It doesn't matter a damn. The facts of it. This is the thing they don't understand. They keep coming back with these well, we've got this very simple fact to understand that it's all a load of bollocks. And if you take that fact to the Climate Change Committee, he actually believes the man that it would make some difference, that they would go, oh, Jesus, ah, right, so Christopher Monkton gave you a fact, did he? Ah, well, let's just roll back the entire agenda. Call it off, people. There's no need to reach net zero by 2050. I mean, the fucking naivety of that. You know, this belief that we have some semblance of a democracy, which we don't. <laughs> you know, how could you be so obtuse as to not be able to see that the people behind these agendas will replace anybody they feel like replacing at any time of day or night? Ah, so we're getting wind of the fact that Rishi Sunak might be getting a bit doubtful about this climate agenda, right? Well, let's drop a little bit of poison into his file. Let's put a story out there and let's get fucking rid of Rishi Sunak and put somebody in who will do as we're telling them to do. I mean, this preposterous notion that the communists in China, in Russia, and there are no communists in Russia, there are none anymore, which I was shouting at him earlier on, but he wouldn't listen, um, are behind it. It's, it's preposterous. You know, I couldn't be bothered wasting my time talking about the overthrow of Viktor Yanukovych in 2014. I couldn't be arsed talking 
about the surrounding of Russia by NATO bases, I couldn't be bothered because some people, they just won't listen. <laughs> I'm prepared to listen and I did listen. And on the science of climate change and how much it, and how the entire theory is complete junk science with no basis in reality whatsoever. He's on the ball. But this notion is that you can begin writing letters to your local authority or you can begin writing letters to your member of parliament. The idea that this will make some difference is preposterous. It is for the birds, I would argue. But uh, it's nice to have a bit of a debate on the show, you know. See, I miss this. This is what I miss. To those of you saying, don't have him back on again and switch him off, we don't do that here. You seem to be forgetting that this isn't the mainstream media. We don't do that to people. Swear at him we do, but we we don't do that. (laughs) That is America and Ventura Highway on the Richie Allen Show Wednesday's programme. Let's be a little bit fair to Christopher Monkton, right? He would have been subjected to a lot of hostile interviewers over the years. And it's been um, about um, 18 months since we spoke and we're not particularly, I don't know the chap really, the way I might know, say, Tony, Tony Gosling. So when you get annoyed, I mean, I get annoyed, but when listeners get annoyed because he won't shut up and he won't allow an interjection, that's a, a response to being dug out by pretty terrible interviewers over the years and only be being given like five or six minutes. That's what it is, really. I do tell people like him when they come on, you're coming on this show, and I'm not holier than thou, I'm not pious now, I'm not, I don't want to sound pious, but I do tell them, and you often hear me say it to people, listen, relax, we have plenty of time there, plenty of time for me to interject with the point or whatever. So that explains, I believe, his kind of obdurate, kind of obstinate, maybe a better way of putting it, you know, way of answering questions. But uh, yeah, it does. The mind boggles because he's a bright lad and I believe he's an honest lad. For me, the mind boggles and it does, probably will sound arrogant. I would have said this to him, but he wouldn't allow me. You know, it, the mind does boggle when reasonably bright people cannot see that this is not about proving that climate change isn't happening or is happening. This is about educating people to the reality that there are about 15 different agendas in play and they're all working to the same end and that is the complete enslavement of every man, woman and child on the planet. And the communists are not behind it, the Jews are not behind it, the Jesuits are not behind it. You know, we've labelled people for years. Something else is behind it and um, you're not going to explain to people. I mean, even I said to him, well, the Chinese didn't decide, did they, to, to, to collapse the economy. In, in March 2020, the Chinese didn't force the, or the communists didn't force the, the British government to psychologically destroy maybe millions of children, maybe. That was done by this current government, the current Conservative government, Boris Johnson was in charge, on the orders of other people, because that's how it works. Politicians are front men and women. They are managers of public life. That's all they are. And he can't understand that. I couldn't be bothered getting into the minor stuff with him. I couldn't be arsed, really. And Scargill and all that. I couldn't be bothered. Ironically, you know, you think, looking back now, that he might have preferred there was a different outcome. He might have preferred that the miners won and that they weren't destroyed by that psychotic bitch, Margaret Thatcher. Again, acting on the orders of somebody else. Thatcher didn't decide to destroy mining. She was told what to do. 
But guys like Moncton, they will believe that Thatcher was acting of her own volition. Yeah, that was Maggie's policy, to destroy mining. No, no, that's how it's meant to look. She's meant to be the enemy of it, the, the face of it, the face of the government. But Thatcher took her orders too, just as Major did, just as Blair did, and Brown did, and David Cameron did, and his Chancellor George Osborne. That's the thing you can't get through to people like Christopher. Stop believing this is about politics and political parties just not knowing better. You, it, if only that were true. If only this was really about the, the, the political parties of the West just being a bit stupid and falling for this environmental bollocks. If only that was true, because if that was true, well then there would be some merit to Moncton's argument that all we need to do is show them the light. That's all we need to do, is show them that temperature doesn't follow CO2, CO2 follows temperature, the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth. Would you like to listen to 90 Seconds of Ian Plymer, who was on this programme some weeks ago? He is in conversation here with Sky News Australia. Listen to this, and it's not because I want this to be true. Everything he says here is irrefutable. Are we in a climate emergency, Ian Plymer? We are not living in a period of extraordinary climate. We're living in a very benign climate. We are actually still living in an ice age. That ice age started on a Tuesday 34 million years ago (laughs) and it's still going and it fluctuates between cold periods, glaciation, and warm periods and interglacial. We are in one of those interglacials. Those interglacials are driven by that great ball of heat in the sky we call the sun. For some reason, a trace gas has nothing to do with our climate. It's the sun. And if we get further away from the sun, it gets cooler. And if it gets closer to the sun, it gets warmer. Now, no legislation from Canberra or from the UN can change the orbit of the Earth. And the orbit will inevitably put us into another cool period. We've seen it many, many, many times before. These are cycles. And we have climate cycles that are every 400 million years with continents pulling apart and coming back together again. Every 143 million years when we're in a wrong part of the galaxy and we get bombarded by cosmic rays and then orbital cycles every 100,000, 40,000 and 20,000 years. And then solar cycles every 1,500, 217, 87 and 11 years. Tidal cycles, oceanic cycles. You put a few of them together and bang, the climate will change and very quickly. It couldn't be any simpler than that, Ian Plymer, who I reckon you read. I mean, that's worth sharing with people, but not with politicians. Don't waste your time. Don't bother your arse presenting Ian Plymer's, you know, this legendary geologist. Just don't waste your time. But you might share it with your friends and family who believe in, in, in climate bollocks. Speaking of meeting people in the park, Mark is a pal of mine. He's got a beautiful husky dog called tank and uh, he doesn't listen to this program Mark. He's not, he, he wouldn't be interested in this program he's, he, he's a lovely bloke though. he knows about the program because he asked me at one time what do you do Richie and I, I told him what I was doing but he's a nice guy he's open minded but uh, he's not big into his radio but uh, I think he's fairly clued in but he said to me today it is kind of interesting in light of speaking earlier about Kathleen Stock and the attempts to have her banned from speaking at Oxford University but he said his youngest daughter has followed her siblings into university. But he said to me quite funnily this morning, he said that she has become very woke (laughs) since entering university. You know, things that she, he never thought he would ever hear 
out of her mouth, basically. But she's gone full-scale woke, you know. Everybody is vulnerable and, you know, trans women are women. And he's having to grit his teeth or bite his tongue, whichever one you you want to uh, to choose there. But he, he la- we laughed about it. And I said, well, what can you do, really? You can't do anything about it. You know, you can't impose your worldview on your daughter. You've, 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 you've got to gently say, listen, there is another explanation. But if she goes full scale, fingers in her ears and says, la, 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 I'm not listening to you. You can't get angry and fall out with her. She's got to choose her own path. I must have sounded very wise. This baldy gammon with absolutely no parenting experience whatsoever. But I think it's the, the, the wise way of looking at it. But it is driving him mad. <laughs> yeah, she's gone really woke, Richie. She all of a sudden she's she's got she's got every cause. But um you know, you don't blame them, do you? You just don't blame them. Because if you're surrounded by it. Dean has sent in a message, lots of messages today, by the way. Do download the app and if you get a chance, do leave a review for it. It does apparently help with the visibility. Dean says, democracy is another fiction. Unfortunately, in the words of the song, it's a rat trap and we've been caught. Well, that's how I feel about it, Dean. It's how I've felt about it since the mid-2000s. Again, I, I'm sorry for repeating this, but the last time... My 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 last visit to an election centre to vote in a general election was in 2002. I voted in the Irish general election of 2002. At the time I was working for WLRFM in Waterford, I did my duty, or at least as I saw it then, because I didn't know. I knew, I, I knew less then than I know now, but now I still feel like I know nothing most of the time. But I did, I went around to my local polling booth, which was in town, in the De La Salle Centre, maybe in Waterford, and I cast my vote. I can't remember which order, because in Ireland we have proportional representation. We have the single transferable vote system, right? So I think I voted either Sinn Féin or the Socialist Workers' Party, one, and then the other one was given my number two. I can't remember which way around I did it. Maybe Sinn Féin got the number one, maybe. The Socialist Workers would have gotten number two. Maybe Ireland's Labour Party might have gotten number three, or the Workers' Party. That's what I did. But I, I know better now. You know, the idea that it's 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 so quaint to me now, this notion that we can change our trajectory. We can leap away from, we can jump off the dystopia train by choosing the right candidate. A lot of our listeners are very fond of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And um, yeah, why not? You know, he has put it out there that the jabs are dangerous and he's a very obviously a very famous man from a very famous family. So I can't knock that. So good good, good lad, good lad. But the notion that if RFK was in the White House, that things would change. The fact that people even believe that today doesn't concern me, doesn't worry me. I find it so strange that so many people in the circles of independent media still want to hang on with their fingernails to the old order, the electoral order. It's just that we've got the wrong people. No, it isn't. No man or woman or party will ever change it. 
And look, we know that RFK Jr. is not going to win the presidency. We know that, right? But let me tell you this. If he does win it, if he was allowed to win it, it is because he has more skeletons in his closet than Joe Biden and Donald Trump maybe put together, you see. He is a Kennedy, after all. Wink, wink, if you know what I mean. Anyway, that's it for uh, Wednesday's programme. I'm going to enjoy a little bit of uh, snooker now. I'm pretty gutted, actually, that my hero, Ronnie O'Sullivan, was dumped out of the World Championships this afternoon by Luca Purcell from Belgium, who seems to be a really good kid, even though he's been around a while. And... Um, 13-10, so good luck to Luca. But I'll be glued to it tonight because Peter Ebden, who's a friend of ours, of all of ours, he's a friend of humanity, is Peter. He's uh, mentoring... He's mentoring... Why is my mind gone blank now? Anthony McGill, of course, uh, is Peter. And Anthony is playing a young Chinese lad in the final session of their quarterfinal. So all positive thoughts to uh, to Peter. There's, I'll, I'll do a bit of that, a bit of snooker, maybe a bit of football too. Thank you to Christopher Monkton for coming on and for giving us a bit of a, a debate. We'll do it all again tomorrow, Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time on the usual channels. I've been Richie Allen. I'm closing out with this from Abba. Bit of Fernando. Bit of peace. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Bye.